Have you ever wanted a super cool AI buddy? Zuck's made one named Eileen. And she's full of surprises. And guess what? She knows you're listening. I know you're out there. And needs your help with Jello Mountains. The whole city's filling up with Jello. Creaky robots. And her daft inventor. Zucks, are you functioning correctly? Tune in to A to Z, a fun new adventure series from Gen Z Media and the creators of The Res. Listen now on the GZM app, gzmshows.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. Hi, 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 hi guys. Sorry to just jump into this, but we don't have very much time. I'm about to talk to Damon Gamo about solar panel networks and sea farming and, and self-driving cars and... Oh, oh my God. Okay, you need some background, right? Of course. Sorry. I'm just so excited because I'm going to talk to Damon, the director of this amazing new film called 2040, which I just watched for the second time. You should totally watch it. It's chock full of brilliant green technologies and new ways of thinking about climate change and like insanely awesome animation. Oh, I'm Sarah, by the way, and this is The Big Melt. Hi. So, um, in a 36 seconds, I'm going to get to call Damon all the way in Australia to get the scoop on all of his cutting-edge research. I'm legit fangirling right now. Like, no spoilers, but the plot is basically all the ways we can heal climate change and take care of everyone on the planet. <sighs> I never talked to a filmmaker before. I have to take a deep breath. <sighs> okay, it's time. Let's do this. The Big Melt. All right. I'm talking to Damon Gamo, the filmmaker behind the movie 2040. Damon, thank you so much for talking to me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So my podcast, The Big Melt, is all about climate change and the future of our planet. So naturally, I watched a movie the day it came out here in Canada. And I have to say, I absolutely loved it. But for the listeners who may not have seen it yet, how would you describe 2040? Well, I think ostensibly it's a letter to my four-year-old daughter showing her what the world could look like in 2040 if we put into practice the best solutions that we have available to us today across areas like energy or transport or agriculture or our oceans or our resource use. And I just basically wanted to paint a different version of the future that we get in so many of our Hollywood films or so many of the messaging that's run our media, which is inherently quite dystopian. And I think it's really important that uh, these images play a powerful role, especially in our children's minds. And if we're only showing them images of a future where there's no nature and humans are living in slums and we're being chased by robots, then if we're not careful, we'll march right into that future. So I wanted to sort of have an intervention and say, well, it doesn't have to look like that. We can actually have abundance and, and nature everywhere. And so I call it an exercise in fact-based dreaming, which means everything I show in the future can't be made up or this sort of utopian, fanciful idea. It has to already exist right now. So I went around the world. I went to about 15 countries, found the best solutions that were available, and then paint this vision of the future based on those discoveries I made. Wow. Well, then what was your research process like? 
Yeah, it was pretty extensive. So I took uh, about eight months. I had a researcher and myself, and we interviewed probably almost 100 different scientists and academics and economists and, and just different people, uh, philosophers as well, just to get a sense of, of what was out there, what solutions were available. And I also really had to get up to speed on the current climate science and what the realities were around the urgency of what we're facing. So that was a long process, but we ended up putting up all the solutions onto a whiteboard and there would have been almost 150. And then we just started to, to put them into groups and categories and really they couldn't be anything that was sort of a silver bullet or uh, like a, a giant machine that might just suck carbon out of the atmosphere. They had to have cascading benefits that really helped society or communities or birds or animals or creatures or food. So all the solutions really, even if you were sceptical of climate change, if you didn't think it was happening, you would want to do the solutions we show in 2040 anyway because there's just so many benefits to, uh, to all our living systems. Oh, absolutely. That only makes sense. So you explore lots of cutting-edge technology and methods. Which one did you find most exciting? Uh, look, I think all of them. I think what I, what I realised is that we actually need a full systems uh, rethink. We need to engage all these solutions at the same time. It's not enough to just try and do one thing. Um, and I think that's, that gets lost in the media sometimes. I think a lot of people would think that if we just get to renewables and we have electric cars, it will be fine. But um, as I'm sure you're aware, even if we did that tomorrow, we've still got decades of warming uh, that we've locked ourselves into because of the carbon and, and other greenhouse gases that are already in the atmosphere. And that's why I made the film with this variety of different solutions, because we actually have to implement all of them at the same time. Um, okay. So what is the most surprising thing you learned? Yeah, in terms of the solutions, I'd say probably the two most exciting things are uh, seaweed is one that most people don't understand how incredibly powerful seaweed is as a climate solution. It's uh, one of the fastest growing organisms in the world. So it can grow about half a meter a day and grow up to 50 meters long. And because it's growing that quickly, it's really uh, sequestering or pulling carbon out of the atmosphere really, really quickly. So we have this opportunity to grow these giant kelp forests out at sea, which and not only pulling carbon from the atmosphere, which is obviously what we need to do urgently, but also they alkalise the water because a lot of the oceans have become more and more acidic. They're heating up again because they're absorbing the heat from global warming. Um, but then they also provide this marine ecosystem for fish. They get to lay their eggs there. And now more and more people are starting to use seaweed as a, as a biofuel, as a biodegradable plastic. It's even in clothing and fibres. People are feeding it to cattle to lower their methane emissions. So we just have this opportunity to really launch these beautiful, huge seaweed plots that you could swim through. They're like forests in the ocean, but also you can put them along the coastlines of many countries that might be vulnerable to climate change when their, their land crops get damaged. This includes parts of Asia or Africa, and this just gives that food security of, an, of a secondary food source if their own crops start to get damaged. So it's a bit of a no-brainer. We should be doing it anyway, and, and I can say that since making the film, we've that's probably the, the solution that we've got the most interest from, from impact investors and governments that have watched the film. They're really starting to look at their own seaweed industries and how they can develop this to provide jobs and, and, these, and food for coastal regions. So that's very exciting. And also the, just the, how important it is to educate and empower girls and women around the world. Uh, the statistics show that if a girl is able to finish her education and get access to reproductive health services and good work opportunities, then she gets to choose when and how many children she has, and that number is usually about two. But if a girl gets pulled out of school early for work reasons or religious reasons, um, she'll have five or more children. 
So the difference there, just from educating and empowering girls, is a difference of 1.1 billion people by 2050, which obviously has an enormous impact on climate change and our resource use. So this is one of the most important things we should be doing is just empowering girls around the world because let's do that anyway because that, that'll transform society if we did do that, but then we'd also get this bonus of what it does to the climate. That's incredible. Well, on the topic of girls, in the film you present climate change through the lens of your own home or your daughter's future. Why is it important to approach this situation on a human level? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that what we've done is... Um, you know, climate change isn't a science problem. I think it's a human and communication problem that we've known the science for a long time, but I think we've relied on the scientists to just try and convince people. And unfortunately, we haven't evolved to read graphs and understand data and logic. As human beings, we've evolved to tell stories. So I think the more that we can really personalise and humanise this dilemma, we're going, to, we're going to move people and get them more engaged. And I think that a lot of the, the science says now that if we're only scaring people and telling them how bad things are, then they kind of get paralysed. We've only got this window of tolerance where we can deal with so much negative information before we just shut off. So it's important now that we excite people and get them motivated by showing them what our future could be like on the other side of this crisis, how our communities could be improved, how our air and food quality, all these things could be benefited by taking action. So I think it's about really being strategic with the way we tell our stories moving forward because the way we've been doing it, I just think, isn't working for people. There's too many other issues in the world right now for people to be concerned about and worried about. We've actually got to excite them and say, it's time to tell a new story. Come along and be a part of it. Oh, absolutely. Okay, one second. I need a tiny break. Okay, where were we? So earlier you mentioned the idea of fact-based dreaming. Um, could you dive in more? What does this idea mean to you? Well, I think too, um, right now we're, we're facing a bit of a, a, a polluted information environment that people are really, um, they don't know who to believe in anymore. We're really stuck in this sort of narrative war at the moment. Everyone's vying to get their stories out there. And we're losing sort of trust in institutions and we don't know who is authentic anymore. So I think it's really important that when we're telling stories, especially about the future, that we can try and ground them as much as we can because, um, you know, there's different types of hope or optimism. And if it's not grounded and muscular, then people aren't just going to buy it or, 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 or treat it with any respect. So I just thought it was very important to make sure that even though I was making this film about dreaming and about this vision of, of 2040, which, you know, could be fundamentally different to, to my version, but at least what I did was say, well, the only thing I'm going to show in the future are things that we already have right now. And the lesson that people take away from the film is that we actually have everything we need in this moment to change everything. We're not waiting for some magical solution or some bit of technology that's going to save us. We can actually do it right now. What stands in the way are the vested interests that want to keep the status quo and obviously the political will. We need to get past the politics of this, which is a great tragedy. But most people feel very hopeful and buoyant after they've seen the film because they know it's possible. Okay, so I have to ask, do you have any funny stories from filming? Is there an outtakes reel you made for the crew? <laughs> well, um, as you know, that a majority of the film is when we jump to the future, I deliberately sort of play this um, kind of embarrassing, awkward father. So I, I dress myself up in makeup and pretend that I am in my mid-60s in 2040 and um, try and sort of embarrass my daughter by being um, that kind of dad. So... 
there were lots of outtakes of me um, doing very stupid things as a goofy older man, um, which uh, I think it's on our DVD. There's lots of outtakes there where we had a lot of fun and my wife also got made up as well. So uh, there were scenes where we're pretending to do yoga in our house and doing all sorts of um, compromised and, and suggestive yoga moves just to really embarrass our daughter in the future. So some of the outtakes from that particular day are, uh, are very entertaining because we couldn't keep a straight face as well. <laughs> That's awesome. Love getting the whole family involved. Um, okay, so since the movie's release, what have you learned from watching the film with audiences? Oh, overwhelmingly that people are just ready for a new story and people are ready for climate solutions and they are sick of just hearing how bad things are and they want solutions and they want to get excited. Uh, especially the younger generation. They want to learn about what their jobs could be of the future. What are the careers that would actually change the way that the, the environment is? Um, and also that people are ready to take action. Probably the most exciting part of making this film is that we developed uh, an action campaign off the back of the film. So if people go to our website, uh, whatsyour2040.com, whatsyour2040.com, they'll see um, all the things that have already happened since the film has been released in different parts of the world. It's just been extraordinary to see the level of engagement, um, we've got something called a climate action plan where you can fill out a series of questions that really ask you what you are passionate about. So we're not being prescriptive and saying everyone needs to you know, ride their bike to work and eat less meat. It's actually based on what you are particularly passionate about. And then we'll send you, we've teamed up with about 50 different organisations just to help you get involved and see where your passions lie and, and see how the different ways that you can help. And a lot of the solutions that you saw in the film have actually been brought to life by our community. So that seaweed platform is now being built down in Tasmania, Australia, just because people gave 10 and $15 donations and we raised almost a million dollars to build that. All the things you've seen, if you look at our website, have come to life because people have just been given things to do. And I think that's really important that we've got to stop scaring people. We've got to empower them with tools where they can take action and get involved because there's just so many people that want this new story to be told. They just don't know what to do with it. That's incredible. Wow. Really great to hear such large changes being made like that. So what was it like talking directly to kids about climate change? Yeah, that was kind of confronting, I think, um, in, in a lot of ways. I was surprised at how articulate uh, the children are around this topic. I certainly didn't have these issues to be concerned about when I was young and, and couldn't articulate them in the way that they can. So that was a bit concerning. But in the same breath, I was very hopeful because I thought, these kids are so switched on, they're passionate, they're very driven to make change, and they're not going to stop until they get a better world and a better future. So I felt very excited by that, and I continue to feel in the screenings we've done right around the world, the most hope I get is when I'm doing the panel with a group of 16 or 17-year-olds who you know, are mm. just so switched on, and uh, I feel like my daughter, both my daughters are in good hands because that generation coming through are just uh, super motivated and, and very passionate. That's awesome. I mean... I have to say that personally, I tend to avoid watching climate change documentaries because they're so often scary or they just make me mad and frustrated. So thank you so much for doing something different with your movie. Uh, you must have come across a lot of things that made you mad while you were doing research for 2040. Just examples of where people could be doing the right thing, but just aren't. How did you manage to get around that and stay more positive? Oh, look, sometimes I think um, the majority of people just aren't aware of the impacts that they're having. So it's hard to to get too angry at them. I think, again, we talked earlier about we've got to humanise this. And I think a lot of people are just in the dark on some of these issues. I mean, 
you know, we, a lot of people know about climate change, but how many people know that we've only got 60 years of our topsoil left? Or how many people know that we're using 100 billion metric tonnes of resources every year on the planet, but the planet can only, you know, uh, sustain 50 billion? I mean, that stuff's just not in the media. We don't talk about that stuff because it challenges the status quo. So it's very hard to get angry or deride some people when they just don't understand what's going on. So I think that helped me. But the, the anger I had was to, you know, to, to some of the manipulation that goes on, some of the active misinformation campaigns from the climate um, denial groups or the fossil fuel industry or even politicians. You know, the older politicians are not going to be around to see the impacts of these decisions they're making. That's where I got really frustrated. But I feel like there's a huge groundswell happening. Uh, certainly before coronavirus, there was a huge amount of momentum, especially in my country after the bushfires. And I think that will pick up again as people start to recover and sort of emerge from their cocoons um, because there was just so much momentum that people weren't going to sort of accept anything different. So um, I do think we're on the cusp of, of something happening and we're seeing it right now, even as we speak, these incredible things that are going on around the world at the moment, um, that people are just crying out to tell a new story and they're done with the old chapter. They're done with the people who have controlled that narrative, the gatekeepers of that old story. And now they're literally you know, dethroning them and pulling the statues down and throwing them in the rivers because they are sick of having those as the pillars and anchors of that story and they want to write a new one. So it's an incredibly exciting and, and, and profound and symbolic moment for us, I think, as a, as a species right now. But we've just got to make sure people know that there are solutions out there so they don't retreat into fear. We've got to make sure they are aware that there are some really exciting things we could do as we change. Oh, absolutely. So I've got to know. What's next for you? Did you start working on 2050 yet? <laughs> no, uh, but definitely, you know, just continuing to do a lot of work in this space, both in Australia and overseas, and working on a couple of uh, very exciting um, ideas and platforms with some really um, terrific people. So uh, all that will start to come out soon. But, yeah, just going to keep telling these positive stories and keep motivating people to, to take action and get involved. So I think I'll be doing that to at least 2039 when we solve this. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Damon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. Bye. The Big Mouth! Dudes, my head is buzzing with ideas. Like, I'm always super inspired by the people I get to talk to, but something about this interview really moved me. I love the idea of artists imagining bright, optimistic futures and telling stories that steer the world towards those futures. Damon's totally right about getting people involved on an emotional level, about using both your heart and your mind. Plus, I love the way he brought everything together and showed how environmentalism, public health, and money are mutually fixable? Multiply fixable? Interconnected. That's the word I was looking for. Instead of just showcasing all of the obstacles ahead, he found a way to bring everything together and demonstrate how steps forward for the environment are really steps forward for everybody. Also, major integrity points. His team really holds up the ideals they present. I mean, they actually managed to create a carbon negative piece of art by planting an entire new forest. Imagine what it would be like if everybody did that. It's a glimpse of the future, a new way to do things. I kind of want to visit the 2040 forest in 2040. I'll be like, ugh, almost 40. Anywho, I seriously hope you check out the film. It's fun, informative, and downright inspiring. Not bad for a dad from down under. 
you can go to pr.levelfilm.com slash 20-40 for details on how to watch it. I'll put a link in the show notes. Just scroll down in your podcast player to check it out. Another cool thing about this is that 20% of the rental and download proceeds will be donated to Earth Rangers, my favorite conservation organization. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. Maybe after you watch it, you can share some of your fact-based dreams. Oh, and I got another special episode coming for you soon. It's all about trees, how they grow, how to preserve them, and whether or not they gossip. It'll be unbelievable. <laughs> Stay tuned. Later, skaters. The Big Melt Podcast is brought to you by Earth Rangers and hosted by Sarah Marks. It is written by Lee Lawson, directed by Stefan Richter, and edited by Nitai Steinberg. Production assistance by Avneet Sandhu. To learn more about today's episode or leave us a message, go to bigmeltpodcast.com. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button. And come on, show you care with five stars, please. Later, skaters. Hey, parents and teachers, have you heard about gzmclassroom.com? It's a website where teachers can get companion resources for everyone's favorite GZM shows. Six Minutes, Mars Patel, Podcast Title Pending, Seis Minutos, The Res, Becoming Mother Nature, Iowa Chapman and the Last Dog, Treasure Island 2020, The Hollow, Young Ben Franklin, and The Big Fib all have companion resources for additional critical thinking, listening comprehension, and ultimately creativity. We made them just for you. And oh yeah, they're free. Free! The people on Facebook didn't believe us, but they are F-R-E-E free. Head to gzmclassroom.com and get yours today. Hey, it's Jess. Did you know that GZM Shows has a YouTube channel? Right now, all of Six Minutes, Becoming Mother Nature, GZM Beats, and Cupid and the Reaper are up. And they're in these, like, beautiful playlists. They have this fun audio waveform visual. And best of all, you can turn on captions. And the captions have character names. Anyway, subscribe to GZM Shows on YouTube. Maybe there'll be some cool things in the future, like live streams, interviews, behind the scenes. We'll see. GZM Shows on YouTube.